0: morning, bitches, and welcome to Wellness for Real, the podcast where we talk about all things wellness. I'm your host. My name is Marlena, and if you're new here, welcome. We have so many amazing episodes. So make sure you go back and check those out as well. We talk about everything on this show. I was inspired to start this podcast after uh, finally finding success in my own weight loss and wellness journey uh, by finally shedding all of the toxic diet culture bullshit and just embracing finding what works for me. So we share other people's stories, uh, tips, tricks, all the things, um, and we talk about it all. So buckle up, y'all, because it's about to get real. morning bitches and welcome back to wellness for real it's your girl marlena uh welcome back to your favorite podcast today is just me unfortunately felicia could not join us but i do have a very special guest with me uh, mr jesse ross who is an international uh, motivational speaker how are you today jesse
1: i'm doing great how are you
0: I'm doing very well. Thank you. Thank you so much for joining us today. I'm just so excited to have this conversation. Uh, Do you just want to introduce yourself to our listeners and just tell them a little bit about yourself?
1: Sure. Uh, It's very short. Uh, My name is Jesse Ross. Thank you for having me. Uh, I always say, um, thank you for asking me how I'm doing too. I always say great morning. Uh, So maybe you add that to uh, your intro. That was great, by the way. (laughs) Uh, man, I'm a, I'm just a regular person, man. I'm a husband, a father, a community member. Um, I'm passionate about people, passionate about, um, folks getting to the place that they you know, really want to get to. And then, um, I guess work-wise, professionally do a ton of, um, leadership development, uh, diversity, equity, inclusion work, trying to create opportunities to make this world a better place because we so much need it.
0: Yes, definitely. Um, and we'll kind of get into all that. I just want to kind of start from the beginning of your journey. Like, how did you get into this line of work?
1: Oh, man. Uh, honestly, <laughs> I was always a kid who, you know, raised my hand, had a question. Uh, also, never ashamed to uh, talk about the problems that I saw. And so I, I, I've learned over time that everything that I'm doing now, I was in a position where I had a problem, I didn't like it, and I thought I could do better. <laughs> and So call it cocky, call it arrogant, call it um, putting myself in a position to make some change, right, and do something about it. But I really just, I was always in a predominantly white community, uh, worked for predominantly white organizations, was always one of a few, if not the only black folks that was doing something in the community and really passionate about my community. And so I um, was translating and having conversations with folks that shifted from working for an outreach organization to working at a foundation. So then I got to learn how money worked um, or didn't work, depending on how you looked at it. Um, learned a ton. My background in organizational leadership and development. And so learned a ton of you know, systematic stuff that worked that didn't work. And then really just honed in on people. I love human behavior. I love um, the science of just building relationships with people. And then I, I, I hit another maybe ceiling that was just like, I feel like I could do more or my platform could be a little bit bigger and make more impact. And honestly, I had, which is not likely, but I had a lot of encouragement from my employer and the people that I was connected to, because they just knew what I was passionate about. And they knew eventually I was gonna get frustrated. And so they actually encouraged me to kind of venture out and create some opportunities for myself. And having looked back, I was actually at one of my coworker, my former boss, who's a great friend of mine. I was with her the other day. It, I mean, it's like nothing ever changed. And so I understand that that's unique, Uh, But now I get the privilege to working with organizations, working with people. Uh, I work with a lot of predominantly white organizations and just talking to them about things that we need to do to get better and really calling them on their BS.
0: Yes. We love to see it. And we talk about that often on this podcast, uh, how our wellness encompasses so many aspects of our lives. Um, and for non-black folks, you know, having that intentional work, uh, to become anti-racist and just to understand things that we can never fully understand. um, and to affect change is such an important part of our wellness, but a piece that a lot of people seem to skip right over um, and kind of brush under the rug and don't want to talk about. So I'm really excited to have this conversation with you today because I think it's um, one that a lot of people don't like to have, but it's needed, right?
1: Absolutely. Absolutely.
0: Yeah. So for a, I think for a lot of our listeners, um, a lot of people just don't even know where to start just in self-improvement uh, in general, right? Like it can be such an overwhelming idea? Like, how do I become the best version of myself in all aspects of life? So when you're having, um, when you're talking to people kind of, where do you start? Like, how do you help people start that process?
1: Yeah. I I love, I love kind of, you know, that observation. I try to make it as simple as possible. Right. I think there's a lot of information, super technical people go really deep. And, um, I try to tell people like I'm super GED certified, so (laughs) don't worry about making it too deep first thing I asked people was like, what do you like to do? What are you passionate about? What like excites you about life? Like you could be a creative. Uh, We were talking right before we started pressing record, right? Just some people just like to do a bunch of different things. And the goal for me is how can you do that? Right? How do you create a position or create an opportunity that you can do the things that make you happy? I genuinely feel like that's what success is. Now in there, there may be some things that you might have to also navigate, like how do you pay your bills or how do you take care of yourself? Um, If you got little people or big little people like I do, like I still am responsible for them. Um, But so then it kind of gets a little nuanced, but it's like, how can you do the things that make you happy? How can you also make money to take care of the things that you have to take care of? And as long as that is in your wheelhouse and it's, you feel like it's making a difference or it's kind of leaning you to that purpose who else cares like realistically um so i asked them those questions and then the last thing i would say i kind of asked them is what does it look like for you to do those things and what does it feel like for you to do those things so like i here's a we were talking about the weight loss stuff which i think is so dope right i genuinely love wholeheartedly chocolate chip cookies It makes me happy. (laughs) Agreed. (laughs) Yeah. It fills up my cup, right? Yeah. And so I'm probably always, forever going to eat chocolate cookies. Now, that just might be like my thing, right? But it makes me happy. There are other things that I eat, though, that don't really make me as happy. And so if I say, right, how like feeling better looks like this or feels like this, it's probably, for me, always going to associate chocolate to previous. I'm not going to give up chocolate.
0: (laughs) As you should not.
1: (laughs) Right. You know what I'm saying? Like, but other stuff, you know, you can, you can give me all the stats in the world. That's just the hill I'm willing to die on. Um, Yeah. Well, and hey, we,
0: we preach balance on here all the time.
1: Exactly. (laughs) (laughs) But for other people though, right. It might be you know, we, I think you hear people say, you know, you got to do this or give up this or sacrifice this. And I don't necessarily always fully agree. I think there should be some compromise and then something that you're willing to maybe commit to for a certain period of time. So I try to ask the questions and then really get to know them and then kind of just say, okay, well, what does it look like if you were to do that? What does it feel like? Then let's start doing those things more than. Doing the things that don't make us feel good or don't 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 look good.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And I love that you didn't mention at all what other people are doing when we're thinking about how to improve ourselves. Because so often we're constantly comparing ourselves. We're constantly trying to keep up with other people or imitate yeah. what success might be for someone else, um, without really, truly, genuinely thinking, "Well, what does it mean for me?" Right? Like um, that's right. just something I see a lot, especially in social media.
1: Yeah, it's crazy. It's unfortunate, man, that we are so heavily influenced on what other people think. Um, I was just, if I can just take a quick second, I just reminded, I was on a call this morning um, with a group of guys that I'm connected to, and um, we kind of go through these books, and sometimes they're terrible, and sometimes they're really good, and so this book is actually pretty good, and one of the topics on the chapter we're reading on was like mission-driven, right? It's like how do you decide the things that you spend your time in and it was really talking about doing versus being and i don't know how i learned this but i recognize and i've become more reflective i've always been taught or lean towards being versus doing but i think in the society we live in we're taught to like oh you got to be doing this or here's what so-and-so is doing. So you should be doing it too. And I just don't subscribe to that. So I know sometimes my kind of thought process is a little radical or or different, but I just, I can't, I I don't really care what people think.
0: (laughs) I love that. And we all need a little bit more of that. Right. Um, And I'm someone who's always, I think since I came out the womb, been a vocal person who uh you know, speaks her mind and has really strong opinions about things and and doesn't really shy away from saying them. Um, but mm-hmm. you know, it took me a long time to realize that most people are not that way. <laughs> most people really struggle um with being able to voice how they really truly feel. Um so for those people, like what is what is some advice that you give to people to kind of get out of their shell. Um, and become more comfortable with having uncomfortable conversations.
1: Yeah, I think, so I talk a lot about um, cultural self-awareness. And so, you know, to make it very simple, it's thinking about where you come from, what you, you know, what were the expectations that were expected of you? Uh, What was your household like, your background, geography, all these different things, like understanding who you are and where you come from, I think, really plays a huge role in that and most people aren't aware of how much impact impact that has on what people think and so i always ask people to kind of dive that dive into that first um and then i would just say like (laughs) this, this sounds so bad but i ask people the question like how's that working for you right so like people think this about me and I spent all day feeling this way about what they said or what they thought and how is that working most of the time it's not actually working. it's stressful it's draining it's time consuming And so we can understand like man maybe I am super uh, conscious of what you know not getting things wrong uh, because my parents were perfectionists right and I was taught to be a perfectionist okay well, maybe that's why your stress is so high. So I'm not saying you need to stop being a perfectionist. I'm saying now that you know, maybe we can change our expectations, right? Now that I have the information, oh, it's not just me or it is just me, right? Maybe I can change my expectations and say like, hey, I'm, I'm 36 years old, right? I didn't get to 36 overnight. So it took me 36 years to create these habits, healthy or unhealthy it's probably going to take a little bit longer than one podcast or one training or one conversation to undo 36 years of programming.
0: Yeah, absolutely. It's a process, right? Uh, and it's a forever process for sure. Um, and that self-awareness, like I feel like that's such a piece so many of us are missing, um, just that lack of like, who am I and why Why do I behave this way? Um, which seems kind of simple, yeah. but Um, I know for me personally, like to get to where I am now, I mean, it took years and years and years of baby steps. Right. Um, so is that something you kind of talk about as well? Like just kind of taking small steps instead of kind of overwhelming yourself with the big picture.
1: Absolutely. Yeah. So like, let's, let's kind of run through it. Right. You, um, what, uh, either race, ethnicity, culture do you identify with?
0: Um, I identify as Puerto Rican and Latina
1: right and did you you said I know you're in Minnesota but did you grow up in Minnesota
0: um, I actually grew up in Milwaukee Wisconsin until high school and then I lived in Anoka Minnesota for high school and as soon as I was done with high school I left and I moved to Minneapolis
1: got it Got it. yes yeah, so I'm a city you, girl <laughs> okay when you were in Milwaukee did you did you go to Rufus King where did you go to school
0: um, I actually went to a private school. I was grade school, middle school. I went to a private school in a very predominantly white area, but I lived on the north side of Milwaukee. So I lived in a predominantly uh, black neighborhood. Um, okay. If you've ever been in Milwaukee, it's, it, it's yeah, extremely I got segregated. So. I yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: I got, my, my aunt grew up on uh, 34th an hour. And yeah. Uh, I, oh, I grew I'm up all.
0: on 25th and Hampton. That's right down the street.
1: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. So that, so like, right. So part of that is, okay, I got Puerto Rican and what was the other part? Um,
0: I mean, I identify as Latina, but I, my culture okay, is Puerto right. Rican. Yeah.
1: Yep. Yeah. Right. So you got Puerto Rican and Latina culture. Then you got all of the North side of Milwaukee. Then you yep. got Anoka, which is completely different. Right. It was and like a
0: anti-culture is. shock for me. <laughs>
1: <laughs> exactly. Right. And so some of that, moving around really is like, okay, what did I learn in my house, right, what were, what what was my expectations, and you and I, you know, to some degree grew up a little similar, right, is, hey, everybody pitches in, we all yep. gonna make this work, we're gonna yep. do the best that we've got with what we have, Um,
0: yep.
1: you know, you didn't grow up in Sun Prairie or, you know, on the lake, and so there, nope. there are different expectations of people who grew up in Lakeshore, different areas like that, I think that that's really the part, is like, okay, what did you learn? What was growing up? And let's just identify that. That's like step one. The other step is how has that influenced me right now? So like in my house, I got a bunch of kids. Everybody has a job. I don't care if it's to take out the trash. I don't care if it's to clean up after yourself. Like, yo, nobody is taking care of you because I want to build that self-sustainability. But in the culture that a couple of my friends grew up in when I went to high school, they had people that came up, like literally people who worked in their house that cleaned up after them. And I'd be like, yo, this is crazy. <laughs> and so part of it is like taking, like unpacking that and then going, okay, now that I have that understanding, what are some steps that I can take towards? Okay, maybe we need to stop doing this, right? So I'm not gonna stop eating chocolate cookies, but maybe I can stop um, thinking about the problem for a week. And maybe I cut that down to like three days. Uh, maybe I recognize that this type of you know, behavior is unhealthy. And while I may not know how to stop it, at least I can identify what are the triggers? What are the things that keep happening that lead me down that path? And so I do think you should baby step it, but we, we have to add the awareness and really ask some of those questions.
0: Absolutely. Um, And, you know, because of my upbringing, you know, I've, I've essentially been an activist since first grade, because I did go, like I said, to a Catholic, predominantly white school, but I was growing up in this completely different world. Uh, You know, I saw what my friends and my family was experiencing. And that has always stuck with me my entire life. Um, And over these last couple of years, um, you know, there's been this kind of I don't even know what to call it anymore. Um, but, you know, since the murder of George Floyd, more people mm-hmm. have started to become um, curious, I guess, about activism. Um, mm-hmm. It's the best way I guess I could put it. Um, but I'm just curious. I politically
1: <laughs> correct. I like that.
0: <laughs> I want people to listen to this episode. So really, uh, I really want, I want people to get something out of this because uh, it's just something that's so important to me in the world, right? Like I'm just one person. Um, and I am the way I am because of my life experiences and that's the case for all of us. Right. Um, yep. but sometimes we got to step outside of our own experiences, um, and, uh, really do difficult work to affect change. Um, so I feel like over the last couple of years, there's a lot of buzzwords that come around, um, anti-racism being one of them. Um, And I feel like it's something that a lot of people don't fully understand what that means to be anti-racist. So I was hoping you could kind of break it down for us in in a simplistic way.
1: (laughs) (laughs) All right, yeah. And the most simplistic way or form that I could share is, uh, so anti is usually to be against, Right and racism as we know it as a construct here um, in the world is having a strong feeling against another race, right? Strong feeling behaviors, whatever you want to consider them. And so being anti-racist is recognizing, I don't want to allow people or behaviors um, that are associated with being against another race, right? And that can show up in like 18,000 different ways. Um, I do think, I agree with you, it has become a buzzword. It has become um, something that people say and don't really understand what it means. And so I'm hoping that people recognize that to be um, anti-racist or to follow in, you know, anti-racism practices, whatever you want to call it, recognizing that there are things that are set up in our society that don't want to allow certain groups of people in certain races particularly to succeed. It's how our country was founded. It is literally goes back to um, way before our own time. And those practices or policies or behaviors or ideologies still exist today. And so if you are a part of the anti-racism or group supporters, allies, whatever other buzzwords that we want to use, then you are willing to learn and speak out um, against those behaviors, those practices, those procedures.
0: And I like that you said, like, learn, because I feel like for a lot of people, they feel like if they're not getting it perfect, then like, what's the point? and that oh, just yeah. like it kills me. I see it all the time, where you know someone will try, and maybe they don't they don't get it right, or there's something that they're not fully understanding, and then they're like, "Well, what's the point then? Like, fuck it. Why am I even trying this, right?" That's, um, right. So, what would you say to
1: that? Oh, So, <laughs> <laughs> thanks. Thanks for putting me on the spot. I like it. <laughs> um, so I share this resource a lot um, with with people it's not mine, but um, there's a woman named Dr. Tima Okun, and I can send this to you that you might create a link or something for, uh, but she wrote a book called uh, Dismantling Racism, and the Minnesota Historical Society kind of repurposed a part of her book um, in a title, it's actually titled White Supremacy Culture, right, and so recognizing how white supremacy culture shows up in workplaces, but also in our behaviors. There's like nine things on the list. Basically, the first thing that's on the list is perfectionism, right? Is perfectionism shows up in the culture that we live in because we are taught to get things right. We are taught to um, you know, achieve high success, A's, 100%. Uh, we even have sayings, practice makes perfect, practice makes permanent, all these different things. And what I try to tell people is, one, we have to, be aware of that and then unlearn that. Like what if practice actually makes progress? And I think our goal is to make progress. And by making, by shooting towards making progress, we are bound to make some mistakes. Now I do tell people, don't just go out here purposely making mistakes. Like don't be trying to just tear up the world. But I do think in the process of um, that progress, you start to relearn how to be comfortable with getting things wrong, right? That's the only way that we're gonna actually build capacity or competency. We have to we have to do something over and over in, repeti- in repetition. Um, so making a mistake isn't necessarily a wrong thing, but what are we learning from that mistake? One of my favorite questions I ask people is like, so what's the lesson, right? As you you, you messed up, it didn't feel good, you did something wrong, you didn't get it right, whatever. What's the lesson that you're learning in that? Because if we don't pay attention to that, then we're just going to keep making the same mistakes over and over. And there's only so many times that you can say sorry. There's only so many times you can say, oh, I didn't know. (laughs)
0: <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Um, and I love that you've mentioned a few times, kind of reframing the way that we think. And that's something that I've also talked about on here, um, is it's so powerful, uh, to practice reframing thoughts that we have. Um, and I've, I've had other experts on the show talk about this as well, how it literally rewires our brain, um, yeah. and, 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 it just takes practice and it's, it has to be one of those really intentional things that we do. Um, but this is another area of our life that you really have because so many of us are ingrained with biases and all of this, um, information that is ingrained into every single system that exists around us.
1: Yeah, it's, it's crazy. So I, I talk a lot about my wife. She gives me permission. Uh, I'm not a perfect husband, a perfect dad, a perfect person in general. Um, but one of the things that when we got together, we would, we would talk and she didn't really love handling conflict. And I, I love, I love conflict.
0: <laughs> so, Sounds like my relationship I, too.
1: <laughs> yeah. I, I tell people all the time, like when I, we were like having, we had a disagreement about something and I was like excited, like, oh man, our first argument, our fight. And she would not talk to me for like three days.
0: They're <laughs> like, let's go. But,
1: yeah I'm like let's go let's hash this out let's get this done but the one thing that I didn't even realize that I did that she brings up often is offering I asked for suggestions on how to do something different like okay you didn't like how I did this and I didn't intend to do that but that's how you took it that's all that really matters right what would you like me to do differently and usually she will say I don't know, let me think about that. Because she will say like, she's so caught up in the hurt or or what happened or whatever her mind took her that reminded her of something else that might've happened earlier in the week or when she was a kid or whatever, that we're not even reframing like what would I like to see out of this conversation or this action. And I don't know where I learned that from honestly, but I think asking people and having those conversations is also how we relearn. So if I can tell you, I mean, sorry, if you can tell me what you want to see from me, then now I actually have no excuse because I know, right? I'm no longer ignorant. I, And if I choose to do it, then hopefully then we can stay in a relationship, which I have, right? But if I don't, then now you can make some very viable assumptions and have evidence and say, well, I told you stop doing that or you should start doing that and you didn't. Therefore, my only conclusion leads me to, you might not care as much or whatever the things are. So I I think it's huge. I think it's important.
0: Yeah, I completely agree. So on like a larger scale, um, why do you think it is that so many people choose to, uh, not take that piece of information of how they prefer to be treated on like a social scale, um, Why do you think it's just, is it just like that it feels easier for most people to like not do the work?
1: Yes.
0: (laughs) (laughs) I mean, I guess I'm answering my own question, but um, it's just something that baffles me because I'm like you, I I, I like to approach things head on and have those conversations and confrontations, Um, but I have a hard time understanding why, why people think it's easier to just ignore things, I guess?
1: yeah, I, I don't know the actual answer to that question. I, it's something I think about all. I think you and I are wired very similar. So I have no idea why some people do a lot of the things that they do. <laughs> I think though know, like my my kind of thoughts around that question is so if if for a really long time, you've grown up saying, Uh, actually I'll use this example because this might hit home right I read this book um I don't remember who it was she's an amazing um woman of color who wrote this book um and she gave this example of there was like a kindergartner a kindergarten teacher who was uh kind of doing like a pop quiz or a test or something on how do you make peanut butter I mean not peanut butter peanut butter and jelly sandwiches and I was like oh okay cool so she was like hey you know I I would give the test like once a week and basically the kindergartners were like failing on how to make peanut butter. And what they didn't realize when she was given the test is that most of the kids were Latinx and they didn't grow up eating peanut butter and jelly sandwiches. And she was like, so if I would have asked them, you know, how do you make something related to their culture? They probably, you know, off the hand would have gave me Here's how you do this, here's how you do this, right? And I didn't grow up eating peanut butter and jelly sandwiches either. So I probably would have failed that one, right? Right. But like if you ask me about soul food, you ask me about some collard greens, you ask me about (laughs) ribs, my dad, you know what I mean? Like in pertaining to your experience, then it makes sense. So to kind of get back to the question, I think people are so comfortable in their own experience that they are unwilling to be exposed to new things. Because if I am. Then that means, shoot, my foundation might be completely shaken. And if peanut butter and jelly is wrong, then that means ten thousand other things could also be wrong. And I genuinely think it's it's fear, right? I think fear is something that people are uncomfortable with. But that's just how we've been programmed. On the other side, I always say like, if you like to go visit somewhere, right? It could be. Um, there's a new statue that happened, you know, in downtown Minneapolis or somewhere else, or you go visit a new place, right? Most people don't want to sit in the hotel the whole time. Now, I genuinely like doing nothing on vacation, so <laughs> that's an asterisk, right? Yeah. But but you would want to, like, see the city. You want to experience something. Even if it's a new hotel, you're like, let me go check out this hotel. I've never been to this brand of hotel. You have this, like, curiosity, I genuinely think if we could become more curious like that, but to like other information or people's lives or their own experiences, then we start to lose some of that fear and start to move towards like that progress that we were just talking about. So those are just two examples. I don't actually know the real answer, but those are like my aspiration of those for people, like become curious, recognize that not everybody eats peanut butter and jelly. <laughs> and hopefully, you know, we can start to understand that experience and exposure play such a huge role in how we see the world.
0: Absolutely. I completely agree. And just even that question, like I I almost, I was like triggered because like I said, I went to a, a all white Catholic school and so often I felt like Something was wrong with me because I, there were just so many things that I didn't understand and that just, you know, things that were so normal to other people, like something as simple as like, um, kids going to their cabins for the weekend you know? And I was like, what the fuck is that? Like, what? You guys have another house? Like, what? Like, that's crazy. Um, But I was, you know, and I was one of maybe five kids of color in the entire school, you know, and you're talking kindergarten to eighth grade. That's a lot of kids. Um, So I, I totally get that. And um, even now as a full ass grown woman, I still have moments where I'm like, culturally, there are things I just don't understand. Um, and I married a white man and that happens often with him where he will mention a show or a, a musician or something. And then he's like, you don't know who that is. And I'm like, no, <laughs> like, <laughs> I don't, I don't understand what, what you're referring to.
1: Story, that's the story of my life. My wife is biracial. Her mom is white. Her dad is black. And I tell people, listeners, hopefully this is a great <laughs> podcast for you. I tell people, literally, like I didn't grow up, I, I, there were white people in my neighborhood, but like my parents are from the South, all my family's black, and I mean like old school black. And so like my mom didn't even let me watch, and this sounds so bad, <laughs> but she was so pro-black. We didn't watch any, I don't know any white actors. Like I just started learning actors and movies so she'd be like you never seen uh this movie and I'd be like who the hell is that like everybody (laughs) (laughs) because we watched all black shows like that was just culturally that's what we did and then we would move to like other people of color but like I didn't know who Matt Damon or any of these white dudes were and my wife teases me all the time she's like you don't know who that I was like hell no that sounds very white to me but that's the truth right because I wasn't exposed to it And so, yeah, it it comes up a lot in our house, too.
0: (laughs) I I totally get that. And it's so interesting to me that um, you are now dedicating, like, a part of what you do to, like, educating white people um, about other cultures. And (laughs) that's just so interesting to me, like, what a line of work to fall into um, that... I'm sure there's a million other things that you could be excelling at, but to be contributing in that way, um, is just, I, I, I think it's amazing. Um, and you mentioned fear. Anytime you're making a choice out of fear, like it's the wrong choice. Uh, um, yeah, so if you're afraid to have these conversations, you're afraid to do something like that's when you need to be doing it the most, um, in my right. opinion, <laughs>
1: Um, well, and that, even, even that though, uh, Marlena, just to make sure, I think even that comes from a perspective that you and I share, right, of being open to conflict, but most people aren't wired to be open to conflict. Like most people are very conflict avoidance. They would, you know, just skip over it if if it was at all possible. And so I think it's, it's record, like the the only thing that keeps me doing what I do now is kind of going back to those core values, right? My passion for people and relationships, Um, and just wanting to be honest with people about like, I want other people to be honest about their experience as honest as I am about mine. And so while I I say all the time, I love conflict, that doesn't mean I'm going to look for a fight. (laughs) That means I recognize the pros and cons that conflict can create for other people and i want people to experience that as well so i i love what you said i just want to make sure that somebody listening like yes i agree and we both push like you need to step into that but for somebody who their entire life were taught like don't avoid it at all costs that can be extremely intimidating and I'm just not that guy. So that's why I do, I love you. I love that you said, <laughs> you think it's a great thing because every now and then I'm like, why am I doing this work? This is crazy.
0: <laughs> yeah, as I was gonna say, that has to be really taxing um, work, important oh, work, right? But, but really emotionally taxing on you. Um, so I, I appreciate that you're out in the world doing this. Um, so when someone goes to work with you, like, what does that look like um, for them?
1: Yeah, it it can vary. Um, I have a wide range of clients and and companies and people that I work with. And so I'll just give you a few examples. I have um, uh, some individual coaching clients. I do like some executive coaching where people are, you know, they're just struggling. They're trying to figure out, you know, if I want to stay here at this workplace and trying to figure out, you know, what am I to do? How can I move up? But I still feel like um, there's something deeper that's stopping me from advancing, right? It could be supervisory roles, it could be they're the only woman in a male-dominated industry. It could be kind of all over. And then sometimes I have companies that will reach out and they're saying, we don't know what to do with this employee. I was that, I was that guy. Like most of my jobs, nobody knew what to do with me. And I kind of floated. And so I kind of help people navigate there. On other instances, um, I have people reach out because they are either on a committee or board or part of an organization, and they're trying to do something that they committed to two years ago, or they said that they were going to do around diversity, equity, inclusion, and they haven't seen anything accomplished, or they're stuck, or you know they don't have any money. There's all types of random scenarios that pop up, and so I'm I come in as kind of a, a thought partner and a consultant to say, you know. Ask a bunch of questions, very similar to what we just talked about, but then also push the needle and say, "Hey, if this is what you said is important, why isn't it getting done? Or here's how you can actually get it done. Have you thought about this?" Um, so people will hire me to do that. And then the other is is sometimes it's just doing doing this right, having a conversation with people, but developing those relationships, and <clears throat> providing a, I guess, an alternative perspective. So I get a lot of people um, who are clients and not clients who will just ask me questions. Like yesterday, I had a client who said, hey, um, you know, at the time of this recording, um, it's the anniversary of George Floyd's um, murder. Our CEO was planning on sending out something, but the other events in the world, um, you know, the Buffalo shooting and the, the school shooting in Texas, the shooting that was in California, these are also things that we don't wanna be insensitive about, what should we do? And I kind of walked them through like, well, still send it out. You can make a note. You can also incorporate that in the message, like be honest with people. And it's really most of my, most of my advice. I feel like to me is very, again, GED certified, but for other people who are not used to dealing with it, I can understand that how complex it could be. So I try to just in all aspects, how can I support? How can I help? It genuinely doesn't drain me. To have these conversations when there are parties and groups of people who actually want to have the conversation and follow through it more so drains me when people are just checking the box and so if you are uh, listening to this and you are inside that organization where they've just been checking a box but you want to keep doing the work i i commend you but recognize that we can't do this by ourselves and so uh, hopefully that kind of gives a kind of a wide picture of of the the work that i do (laughs)
0: Yeah, absolutely. It does. Definitely. Um, and I just want to take a moment to speak to, um, to our BIPOC listeners. We do have a lot of women of color who listen to our show and, um, especially like this week, I know we're all feeling the heaviness of everything, right. More so than you know, a lot of us carry every single day already. Um, so, for you, like, what are things that you do to kind of reground yourself, um, and just keep yourself motivated to keep doing this work?
1: Oh, man. Sometimes it can feel
0: hopeless, right? I've, I've, I'm not going to lie. I've had some feelings of hopelessness this week. It's been really difficult.
1: Yeah. Um, no, my friend Sarah asked me this earlier. I, if I'm honest, I don't know. (laughs) I think, I think it varies. Uh, I just, you know, I just wanted to give that like flat out honest answer. I think what I try to do is recognize, you know, what what can I, what can I control, right? So, righteous anger, I think, is is something that's important and is real, right? I'm angry that these things happen in the world. I'm angry um, that it keeps happening, right? Frustrated on all types of levels. I'm angry when people, I put up a post yesterday, um, and I don't remember exactly what, this, what it said, but I was like, here goes a performative kind of cycle. Uh, we say things need to change. Then we talk about things that need to change. Then we read a book about things that need to change. Then we talk to people about the changes that need to be made. Then we make a declaration to make the change. And then we don't make any change. And then we something happens and we talk about it all over again and we repeat the cycle, right? I am an action-oriented person. And so if I'm going to talk about it, that means I'm going to do something about it or be willing to do something about it. That kind of shifts my energy towards just kind of staying in the problem. Now, I know I can't solve everything, but because I'm a doer and an action-oriented person, it helps me like focus on what can I do, right? So I hug my kids a lot tighter you know, when I heard about the shooting, I was just so, you know, distraught and upset. Uh, I asked some more questions about, hey, you probably getting 17,000 emails, but I can't be me if I don't ask the question, right? What, do we, what cameras do we have set up? And my kids attend a private school. And so there's, you know, it's a different setting, but I've never been pissed that the door is locked every time I go up to the school district. Like, I'm grateful. And I know some people who are of privilege who are not Black or brown who've been pissed off about that. And I'm like, and it's for your safety. So that's one thing. The other thing I would say is um, I try to actually have compassion, right? So I try to balance being angry about why things happen and then having compassion for other people who are experiencing things that I don't experience or haven't experienced or are not currently experiencing or having compassion for the other side of the story, because there's so many other sides and other points of views that we don't know. So part of the reason why I keep doing the work, right, is recognizing if I can have a conversation or an experience with someone who does not look like me, who might've grown up completely different, but also might have these extreme thoughts about certain groups of people, maybe my role in changing that outcome is just like i can have a conversation and i can have a positive experience for them and it shifts it starts to shift some of that foundation i mean that's, that's the most i can do but there are times when i'm exhausted uh, this week is one of them there are times when i feel very hopeless um i don't want to be disingenuous and so um, i haven't posted anything on social media that was related to my stuff because I just felt like it was insensitive at the time. Um, and I try to ask people, how are they processing? That's, I mean, that's pretty much all I can do. Cause I think every day I don't know what to do. <laughs> I'm just, just being honest, right? Like just sometimes you don't know, and there's no script for it and there's no, um, play that you can run. It's just like, you gotta be present. So that's all I got.
0: No, I appreciate it. And we call this show wellness for real. We like to keep it real on here. And and sometimes it can feel that way, right? Like, I don't know what to do, um, but just got to wake up every day and just do our best that we have to give on that day. Um, That's how I look at it or try to, especially in these really difficult times um, where everything kind of just feels so heavy. Um, Now I I want to talk. Yeah. I want to talk a little bit about, um, being active in your community. Cause I feel like it's something that a lot of people want to do or think about, right. But don't kind of like know where to start or, um, how to be active in their community and, and affect change in that way. Um, so what are some ways that someone can kind of just start?
1: Yeah, no great question. Uh, And I'm very passionate about this. I want to make sure, excuse me, I want to make sure that I also kind of add an asterisk. Um, I think that everyone should be active in their community, but I also think there are certain groups of people who need to be active in other communities. Right. And so if you are consistently surrounded by people who look like you, who think like you, who um, have the things that you have, then maybe you take the challenge of getting active and building proximity into a, a, a relationship or a connection or community that is not that, right? <clears throat> so one of the ways that I try to tell people is again, what are you interested in? What's passionate? What are you passionate about? Um, if you're a parent, usually people lean towards things that their kids are connected to or exposed to because that's like the first circle. And so if it's books, if it's the education system, if it's homelessness or food, whatever the thing is, where are the people doing the things that you wanna do or would like to do? A wonderful resource, Google, (laughs) right? Like it's so simple that there are so many things that are happening, especially now in this world for the last two to three years with mutual aid becoming so high and all that stuff. But again, pay attention to if you're in communities, that don't have those high uh, traffic areas or everybody is driving around and whatever. I I got, sorry, I'm getting sidetracked. I saw, I picked up my my kid from school the other day and at the same time the athletic director is getting in a car, a high school kid was getting in a car that was extremely more uh, valuable than the athletic director's car. I was like, okay, now we're in different times, got it. right? But recognizing that and then saying, okay, if I'm passionate about kids, where can I serve kids or young people that might need it the most? But maybe it doesn't look like it's in my own community. Now, if you're in your own community, which I love doing, um, I lean towards the folks who don't usually get the most attention. So I'm connected to a school um, that is overlooked all the time. And there are a bunch of little people because I have little people and I recognize that my kids go to a private school and these kids don't. And so I want them to have some of the same things that my kids have access to. And that doesn't mean that I have access to them, but I wanna be able to bring my resources to that place. And so that, I hope that answers the question. I know it's like a roundabout way of getting into it, but I think identify the things that you're passionate about or you're connected to, and then Google somebody's phone number and make a phone call like or send an email, like real simple. And then, Go do the thing, stop yes. talking about the thing, and actually go do the thing.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I completely agree. And <laughs> social media is a, a great way to um, find small organizations that, like you said, might not have the backing. Um, you know, like anytime I see something happen, um, you know, like everybody's sharing the same huge, typically <laughs> federally funded organizations, right? And I'm like, man, there are so many small groups, um, you know, who are on the ground, they're in the shit doing the work, um, and they receive little to no support, um, you know, because it's all going to these big organizations that have plenty of funding and help. Um, that always frustrates me. So, um, and I will say I, I recently moved from North Minneapolis to, Uh, a suburb about 45 minutes away we bought a new house (laughs) and again i'm in this anti-culture shock um, that i haven't experienced since i was a teenager and you know since i moved out it's a small town so everybody already knows i'm not you know they're like who are you you're not from here um and then they ask where'd you move from and i say north minneapolis and they go oh oh (laughs) oh (laughs) That's, it's, that's, how was that? And I'm like, it was great. I loved it. It was a wonderful community. And people just have this like picture in their mind of how scary the city is. And I have to be honest, people, in my opinion, so far through my experience are a lot kinder, nicer, more helpful um, in those communities than this new community that I'm in, if I'm being real honest. So I would love to see more people from communities like this leave. And maybe dip their toes. So if you were someone who lives in a rural area, or maybe you live outside of the city and you've never experienced those things, but you're seeing all the fear right in the media and on the news, um, just step outside your comfort zone, you know, and, uh, like you said, find that area that you can relate to, um, that you're passionate about. And I think a whole world will open up for you.
1: Yeah. I want to add one thing too. Uh, One other thing that people can do is like, to your point, right? Hey, I recognize that everybody's sharing this organization or connected to this or always volunteering here, blah, blah, blah. Ask other people, hey, what are organizations or places that you know of? I get people now, I'm setting myself up for a disaster right now. I know, but I tell people, even ask me, right? Ask the people that, are the resource or are the folks um that are connected in those communities now does that mean I'm going to respond to you right away probably not because I just suck at responding but <laughs> like who better to know what's happening than the people that are connected or the other part is when you start talking about something that you're interested in or that you like somebody like mentally we kind of like lock that in the back of my mind so that when we hear somebody that says something that's very similar to what you mentioned that you're interested in learning about it triggers a oh yeah so and so was just talking about that and so i think the more you talk to people so like asking people for recommendations is one but then talk to people about the things that you want to do now that might create a little conflict because other people might be like well why are you doing that that's weird Okay, cool. But there are more people, I believe, that will say, oh, man, that's really cool. And maybe they don't know anybody or maybe they read an article, maybe they saw something on Instagram, but they can send it to you to start leading you down that path. So I just want to make sure I add to that.
0: Yeah, I love that. Um, So do you have any organizations here locally in Minneapolis that you can recommend for anyone who who is local?
1: Oh, do I, Sarah, do I? (laughs) (laughs) I'm like... Now, now you are me on a spot. Okay. So what I think about, oh man, okay. I'm connected. Here's my, here's my bias. This is an asterisk. I am so connected in North Minneapolis. I really only know a ton of resources in North Minneapolis. I feel terrible every time I say that. And then I don't because I just try to be very like linear, but
0: yeah, there's it's a, a super called, underserved uh, area.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And it's home. Like I still live, I bought a house two blocks from where I grew up. So um, there's a group called Hands-On Twin Cities that does a lot of like service work and opportunities that I've heard about. Um, There used to be a company called uh, Sheridan Story. I think they changed their name to Every Meal. Um, They do a lot of food packaging. They don't focus a lot on North Minneapolis, but they do good work. Um, I tell people all the time, like a, a larger organization that people always get connected to. Um, is uh, Habitat for uh, Humanity. But then for me, I'm always like, all right, ground level, right? There's a a young lady that I know uh, named Shamaria Jordan who has uh, a company called Black Girl Advocate. She's doing some amazing work in the Minneapolis public schools with black girls um, and really just trying to create a space for them to uh, not only advocate for them, but to support them. Uh, we and some of the um, anti racism conversations with white women that I have, we just sponsored a trip for them to go see um, A Raisin in the Sun. I'm like, what's the name of the book? <laughs> a Raisin in the Sun. Um, they also took, uh, so we, we paid for the bus, they went to go to the play, but before that, they went to a restaurant um, called uh, Sobo and Bad Wings, which is owned by two. Um, African American owners Brittany and Gerard. Class. The food is delicious. So yeah, I was another say, i say one of my favorite do.
0: spots in the city. So oh good.
1: man, so my good. favorite spot. And I promote them for free. We need to. We need like an affiliate link or something. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I would just say, like, it, it's really if you put an ask out there, there's so many. There's a there's a dude named Debonair, uh, Andre McNeil. I'm sorry, that has a, a organization called the Din Brothers. Uh, where he's mentoring young men, uh, Northside Achievement Zone. Uh, there's just so many great, amazing organizations that I think that are happening. So those are just a few, uh, but people can always send me a message, DM me. I'm, I'm really connected at um, uh, North Minneapolis High School, which is just in the news a ton. Um, I do a lot of work up there. Hall Elementary School, Franklin Middle School, it's just all it's all over. So, just send me an e- send me an email or send me a DM, and I'll I'll point you in the right direction. I might ask a couple of follow-up questions though. <laughs>
0: <laughs> that's awesome. We appreciate it. And this is a lot. The last recommendation I'll ask from you, um, you you've mentioned uh-huh. books a few times, and I know for a lot of us, that's kind of a starting place, right? To gain knowledge is yeah. to read or to listen to audiobooks or whatever. Um, what are a few books that you feel like are Um, really essential uh, for people to start with or to read uh, in their anti-racism journey?
1: Man, you know, I struggle with that question because I feel like everybody's read all of them. (laughs) (laughs) But uh, here are, let let me pull up my Audible list. Here are a couple of books that I think are different or maybe even better that I would recommend. Yes, because I mean, we see, one, we see
0: the, we see um, the same ones kind of circulate all the time. Um, is yeah. that kind of what you're getting to? Like you see the same books.
1: Everybody yeah. kind of is like, so, read So this. here's one that I think is, I think is really good. Um, regardless of how people feel about um, him, it's a guy named Sean King, who has a, a large social media following. He wrote a book called Make Change that I actually think is one of the best practical and informative books that anyone who wants to do something and actually make change should read because it's very simple. It just talks about having energized people, having an organized plan uh, and a sophisticated plan, right? And so like having people making a plan and then um, having more extensive plans so that, you know, when things go wrong, you have something that you can do. Uh, That's one book. I think Dr. Uh, Robin D'Anzelo's book, Uh, Nice Racism, is actually a really great book for folks who are uh, white and um, or who identify as predominantly white culture. Uh, She asked a ton of really great questions in there. And then um, the last one that maybe people have read or have not read, I would say, would be uh, Uncomfortable Conversations with a Black Man by Emmanuel Acho. I think he does a really good job. I feel like he says a lot of the same stuff that I say, just in a different format, and he has way more money than I do. Um, but I think um, I think those are three not, not as popular books and resources that I would encourage people to read because it's going to give some very practical examples and also lead you with questions to kind of say, hey, if you've done this, what about this? Have you ever thought about this? So those would be the last resources that I would I would leave.
0: I appreciate that. Thank you so much. Um, This has been such a fantastic conversation. I've been looking forward to this all week. Uh, Is there anything else you want to leave our listeners with before we go? Uh,
1: No, my call to action would just be um, encouraging people to uh, do something. Stop sitting on your hands and on your behind and just talking about the problem and lean towards solutions. That's always my call to action, like identify something that you want to accomplish, something that you want to get done and figure out what this progress looks like. After that, go towards it. That's all I got.
0: (laughs) Just do it.